Hey guys, uh, so my name is Hector and I serve on team here now as the associate pastor. I'm so excited to be here. And uh, could I ask of you something today? Today, um, I just want to assume family right now. I just want to like, di- like dive deep and just be family. Is that okay today? And so we're, we're going to go straight into it. And I'm super excited about what the Lord might have for you today. And so um, first, I just want to ask, do we have any married people in the room today? Any married people? Any married people for a few years now? Like, you know, 10 plus, 15 plus? Okay. Um, so don't judge me for this, but uh, me and my wife have been married for like about three years now, so we're coming on our third year. Um, and you know, when we got married a, a, a while back, I thought, I, I truly thought that the minute that we got married, and this is just, I, I'm trying to understand what marriage really means, I thought I'd get like an instant download of how to be the perfect husband. Like, I knew exactly what I was supposed to be doing. I knew how to not get in fights. I just knew exactly how to do everything, right? And I thought, oh, you know what? All, these fighting, or all this fighting that we have during our dating, it's just not going to carry into our marriage. Um, again, I, I hadn't been married yet. Um, but, but what actually ended up happening was three days into our honeymoon— um, we end up getting in a huge fight. Okay, anybody else fight on their honeymoon? Anybody? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. Um, but, okay, we did, and, and uh, I remember, because I'm super dramatic, at one point, we're in Rocky Point, Mexico. We're, we're in the middle of the desert. There's no hotels. There's no city around. We get in a fight in this car, and I walk out the door, and I just start walking in 110-degree weather. Okay, it was horrible, and I was like, man, what is wrong with me. But at the moment, you know, you're, you're dramatic and you got to stay in that mode, right? So you're, you're dedicated to being in that mode. And what I didn't realize until about, about like 15 or 20 minutes into this is I'm in 110 degree weather. She's in AC. She's got air conditioning in her car. And, and so I'm like, you know what? Even though there's a rule in my head that like any marriage counselor would not tell you, but there's a rule in my head, don't call first. Don't call first. And, and like I'm being stubborn, right? And so I'm, I'm walking, I'm walking, and then finally I'm like, okay, you know what? Between both of us, I'm going to call first because I'm going to die of dehydration here. Um, so I pick up the phone, and I say, hey, I'm not done being mad, but can you come pick me up? And so then she picks me up, and uh, we worked it all out. But here's the thing. That day, it finally sunk in that our problems were ending just because we were getting married that our fights weren't going to end just because we got married. But for some reason, I had kind of created this marker in my brain that everything was going to get better after we got married. All these problems were going to end. The fights were maybe just going to get easier after we got married, but that's not what ended up happening. Actually, if anything, a lot of problems just came our way almost immediately. And I think a lot of the time we do this with different markers in our minds. So we think like, well, maybe when I get that job, then finally everything's going to settle. Everything's finally going to settle. Our financial hardship's going to settle. Problems are going to settle. Sometimes when I move to that place, all my problems will be gone. For some, maybe when I retire, everything's going to be calm. Everything's going to be great. For some of us, maybe when we chose to follow Jesus, nobody really told us this, but we got this impression that like everything was just going to get better. Like we weren't going to have problems after we followed Jesus, and that just wasn't the truth. 
Can I tell you that in this life, we're promised troubles. We're promised problems. Those are going to happen. We're going to go through challenging times. We're going to go through tough times. We're going to go through times of mourning. We're going to go through these. And we can't change that. But what we can change is how we respond to them. And so this leads me to to conclude that our focus during tough times is really what determines whether we grow or get beat down by these times. You see, your focus is everything when it comes to these times. And our goal is not just to survive them. It's actually to grow out of them. And the only way there is by shifting our focus during these times. So, uh, for example, when, when me and Bria got in that fight, at the time, and, and I know this is like so young and, and juvenile, but it was something that I thought was I went into marriage and I hadn't let go of the single mentality. What do I mean by the single mentality? Meaning there's only one person I have to consult about my decisions, this guy. That's not how it works anymore. Now I have to think about somebody else. I have to consult somebody else. I, we make decisions together. We're a team. But I had to learn that. And the only way I was going to grow into that was by facing it. And so what I gained out of this fight, what I gained out of this time in our life is a greater understanding of what being married really means. This growth was necessary for me. And you see, I found many times that true growth can actually be found due to problems, not just in spite of them. I believe that We can actually experience growth during tough times by shifting our focus. And I specifically chose this message because it felt like it tied in to what Pastor Brad has been talking about, about shifting our mind. When we shift our focus, our perspective, I think we can grow from some of these situations. So I plan to give you three things to focus on during tough times to create growth in your life. And so you see, I actually get this from from an ancient scripture. You see, the half-brother of Jesus writes a letter to people who have chosen to follow Jesus, and he makes a statement just like this about growth. He says this, he starts by introducing himself and saying that he's James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So he starts off by saying this. He's like, consider it pure joy. You know what this feels like to me? This feels like when you're you're trying to cheer somebody up who's gone through like a tragic time or they try to do it to you and you're like, I rather not, like I rather would have not said anything because I'm trying to cheer them up and it feels a little disconnected. That's kind of what this feels like to me. So I'm thinking, consider it pure joy. Like, that's not what I want to hear when I'm going through a tough time. But I think if we understood what he was going through, got a glimpse into what he was going through, I think we would understand this statement a little more. He starts off his letter by saying to the 12 tribes scattered. So we probably need to ask the question, why are they scattered? What caused them to be scattered? Well, we actually find that in recorded history. There's a different follower of Jesus that actually recorded this history in Acts chapter 8. In verse 1, he says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So this kind of concludes that they're being persecuted at this time. 
They're fearing for their lives, and this has scattered them outside of their homes and into different parts of the regions. And they feared for their lives, and they feared for their families. But this that would be considered normally a setback was actually something different. You see, a little later, it says this, that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This was not a setback at all for them, but instead a catapult for the message of Jesus. The message of true life and and love for people that were in need of hope. There's a pastor in Portland, Oregon that would say it this way, persecution would make them go where pleasure would not. They were in tough times. They were in pain, but their focus was on something much greater. Here's a psychological truth. Every incident has power according to the meaning that we put on it. So for instance, one person might experience pain and tough times and put a bad meaning on that. But according to what Pastor Brad has been talking about, some people will shift their mindset and see this pain and instead put opportunity next to it or put a a, a needed lesson to learn or a signal to change directions. This is what James seems to mean when he recommends consider it pure joy when you face trials. James knew that these people that he was talking to would give up if all they saw was their pain. But he knew that they would endure and overcome if they attached it to a higher meaning. He tries to shift their focus and ours to realize that there's maturity and growth that we can gain from this. Why? Because it does something for us. It pushes us outside of comfort and into perseverance. So that's the first one, is set your focus on perseverance. Set your focus on perseverance. Now, what does perseverance mean in, in the context of this, of this passage? It means this. In, in the Greek, it's uh, consistency, reliability, true to the end. Just being a consistent person. Don't you love consistent people? Just people that are steady, people that are calm. I used to work at Starbucks for a while, and um, we, during our exit interview, they would, they would actually ask us an interesting question. They would ask us, how does your manager do when there's a rush of customers? How calm are they when there's a rush of customers? Why? Because this was seen as a leadership trait that was coveted by many people. This trait would usually be attained by experiencing tough situations enough times that they knew how to stay calm. They knew everything would be okay. It made them better decision makers, and it made them better leaders. This is the kind of attitude that James seems to be encouraging in us. And and this is a difficult attitude. It's a difficult one because he wants this for for our faith in Jesus. He wants this for our life. But what will always fight perseverance and steadfastness and steadiness is comfort. Why? Because when I'm on the treadmill and, and I'm trying to run and I'm trying to persevere, the one thing trying to stop me every day is the, the fact that I could go to the couch and not be doing this. <laughs> like, this is not what I want to be doing. But comfort, it'll, still, it'll keep pestering me. It'll keep demanding my attention. Like, honestly, we live in a, in a culture where comfort, it's our drug. Avoidance, it's our default. Convenience is what we pay extra for. I paid $22 the other day to get Chick-fil-A delivered to me. And you've probably done it too, so don't judge me. But this, this is 
perseverance. It's, it's something we should want, we should desire for our lives, but it's not what we actively choose. So how do we develop perseverance? Well, in the Greek word, uh, perseverance assumes that following the way of Jesus will bring about opposition that must be met with spiritual resistance. How do we develop spiritual resistance in our lives? Well, we train our obedience in Christ. How do we train our obedience in Christ? It's during moments of spending time with him, prayer, fasting, generosity. These are called spiritual disciplines. And these are moments that we set aside every day to spend time with Jesus, to prepare us for the world outside of our own homes, to prepare us for the hard times that are going to come. And I know that there might be some people that are not necessarily believers right now, but could I tell you that so much science has been done already on the benefits of fasting, meditation, what we consider Sabbath, rest, and just adding rest to your, to your rhythm of life. And there's so many benefits to it. I'm telling you, this thing that God had already designed, it was already proven way before we proved it because it was already doing something for us. But I believe that there's a power that comes with it when you're following Jesus and it prepares us. And I know this isn't cool and it, it's definitely not quick. It's, it's actually slow and steadfast, but it's effective. We practice these disciplines to train our obedience and our trust. A famous pastor named Eugene Peterson would call it a long obedience in the same direction. This is steadfastness. This is endurance. is a long journey of obedience toward following Jesus and living God's way. Now, we're going to find obedience to be hard because we live in a culture that, that keeps screaming to me and to you, it's all about us. It's all about me. It's individualistic. Because culture will continually want us to ask the question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me to obey? What's in it for me to follow Jesus? What's in it for me to do some of these things? And, and can, I, can I be honest for a minute and just say, obedience to following Jesus doesn't promise us gain and glory. It promises his. But we need to understand that in this, this is what's really cool. The main character of this story is God. But the object of his love is you, is me. Pastor Brad alluded to this. You're already loved. You're already cared for. So this love that God has for you and for me leads him to want the best for us, to want the best for you and your life and your family. And so we have such a crucial role on this earth. What's that role? Is to reflect his love to every single person. It's to, to care about every single situation that's going on around us. And in this role, we seek one thing, a simple disconnection from the things of this world and a greater connection to God and his heart. What does this disconnection produce for us? Oh, contentment, true joy, maybe not always happiness, but always joy because we can celebrate with him and his heart. And you might be asking, what's the difference between joy and happiness? Happiness is momentary and dependent on circumstances. Joy comes from within. We choose joy and it becomes a filter in which we can look at all of life through. And so when we practice things like generosity, like just being a generous person, 
and, and we look for opportunities for that in our everyday lives, what happens is a stock market will crash, uh, uh, inflation will happen, financial hardship will come, but it doesn't make its way into our hearts because our trust isn't in money. When a famine comes and hard times come, our fasting disconnects us from dependence on what this world can offer and, and leads us to a dependence on Jesus. Times of Sabbath or, or rest will remind us continually that we're not the ones that make the world go round. God is. And moments of prayer lead us to turn our eyes toward God in the good and in the bad. This will create perseverance in our lives. I saw an incredible moment years ago. I was pastoring in Arizona, and this was about six years ago, and I was at a funeral. And the, the guy that had died, he was a big deal at our church. Like, he was somebody that had served the church for so many years. He was really, really known in the community, and we loved him dearly. And it was kind of just a shock for all of us that, that he passed away. But I remember a few weeks afterward, I, um, I ended up chatting with his wife, and I, I asked her how she was doing, and I expressed my condolences. And I'll never forget what she said. She said this when I asked her how she was doing. She said, I'm actually thankful. I'm thankful that even after he got sick, we had years together. I'm thankful for the marriage that we shared. I'm thankful that he served the Lord in our home and our church. I'm thankful he lived a life worth celebrating. This was the jo a joy that I just couldn't explain. This was a contentment that made absolutely no sense. I mean, this was many years of following Jesus on display in front of me and something that I wanted for my own life. So, so we know what to do before trials. It's this idea of developing perseverance. But what about during the trial? Can I do something during the trial? Well, James actually tells us yes. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. And I, I love how um, Pastor Eugene Peterson actually paraphrases this same verse and he says this, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. This is what he tells us to do is pray for wisdom. He offers it to us as a gift when we're in need. So set your focus on wisdom. James assumes that wisdom is the way to get through our tough time and grow out of it. These times that, that we go through, they're going to demand way more than just knowledge. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. You see, knowledge we can gain from books and sources of information and facts. Wisdom is about insight. It's about understanding. It's far deeper. We continually need more of it. Because there's going to be a lot of things in life that we're just not going to have handbooks for. There's going to be a ton of things in life. I mean, sure, there's, there's books out there for, for marriage. But is there a handbook for your specific spouse? You know, there's, there's books on parenting, but is there a book on your kid? There is not. And, and, and sure, that was the job description. Like, I can read the job description, but is there a handbook on what the job is now? Maybe a book on your specific boss? Like, these things don't exist. We need insight. We need understanding on how to deal with these areas in our lives, especially when everything seems to be going wrong.
Wisdom has actually been a point of interest for philosophers for over 2,000 years. From the time of Aristotle, there's so many philosophers and thinkers that see wisdom as actually the key to the good life, as they would call it. And in recent years, two psychologists have actually uh, come up with some major contributions for this study of wisdom, and they've concluded these two things. One, a wise person is someone who is most, uh, sorry, um, a wise person is someone who knows what is most important in life and how to get it, but they know what constitutes the meaningful life and how to plan and manage such a life. This is the second one. This one's called the balance theory of wisdom. And it states that people who are wise extend their intelligence to seek a common good. They can achieve outcomes that include but go beyond their personal self-interest. So this leads me to conclude that wisdom cannot, it's not just going to help you, it's going to help the people around you. You know when I need wisdom the most is when I'm going through a hard time, when I don't know what to do, but the only person I can consider or I think about or I'm even concerned about is me and my feelings. This is when I need it the most. And these are the moments that God reminds me that there is something much greater at play. Uh, There was a a while back that I was going through a lonely time. And I I was developing friendships. I had friends around me, but I still just kind of felt alone. Um, A lot of the illustration would be kind of the idea of having a, a, a room full of people, but feeling like you're by yourself. And that was what I was going through at the time. And I remember visiting my parents in Yuma, Arizona, and I get a text from an old friend. Now, this old friend, two years prior, we had gotten in this big blow-up fight, and it, it, was, it was pretty bad. And he wanted to meet up, and so I agreed. And so I'm driving to the coffee shop, and then all of the feelings were just kind of brewing up inside of me. All of the feelings of, of the fight, all of the words that he had said were just brewing up, and I was just getting so mad. And I remember there was a moment with God where he started just kind of shifting my focus. And before I arrived at the place where we were supposed to meet, I started thinking instead of how I hurt him. I started thinking through the loneliness that I had felt lately and how much I was actually giving to my friendships at the time. And then I I asked myself this question, do I really want to live a life without this friend? And obviously the answer was no. So I walked into the coffee shop with a completely different perspective. Actually, I walked in, instead of fighting for my point, I fought for the friendship. And he's probably one of my closest friends now. And I feel like the Lord has just blessed that friendship in so many different ways. But coming from a time where I struggled to connect with anyone, this was such a blessing for me. This is what wisdom will do. It'll teach us not just about ourselves, but it'll teach us about the people around us. And this moment might seem completely natural to you, but if you only knew how stubborn I am during fights, you would know it's so supernatural that this happened. Um, It takes a moment to get out of our situation and see the bigger picture. This moment was, was not only important for me, for, but for him as well. So God will continually do this. He'll bring us back to our values and the greater things in life. He'll lead us to, to a life of meaning and of purpose. You see, this life, it's not just about you and me. There's so many more people that get impacted by every person in this room. And and wisdom has the power to change every single one of us and through us change the world. 
I mean, there are so many cases at this point of people who have, who have struggled with homelessness and come out of it and started organizations to fight hunger. There are so many cases of people who have gone through divorces yet have started countless foundations. People who teach others about financial intelligence after losing everything and having to gain it all back. People who are working to build a better world after experiencing their own atrocities. These, li- these all start with little moments of saying, God, please give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. It's a different way to live, but it'll require us to allocate some time for self-reflection. So this is the last one today. Set your focus on self-reflection. This focus has actually been studied in, in, some, in a theory called post-traumatic growth. So in the mid-1990s, there were two psychologists that started seeing an interesting phenomenon in their patients. They started seeing that they were actually growing outside of, of, their, of their trauma. Now, this was different than resilience because resilience just meant that they would be able to bounce back. This was actually growth beyond where they originally were. So through self-reflection out of traumatic moments, they gained an appreciation of life, better relationships with others, new possibilities in life, personal strength, and even spiritual change. For some reason, self-reflection after trial would develop an awareness of the most important things in life. If we can take some time and, and just self-reflect during these hard times, I think we can allow ourselves to learn and grow. You see, growth is what we gain out of this kind of focus. We should seek growth. growth. We should desire it because it'll change our future. Your future is actually dependent on how much you grow in this life. But growth, growth will require change. So I have a friend, uh, he's, a, he's a pastor and a, a doctor in human development and, and family relations, and he taught me a couple years ago that there's actually a cycle to this, specifically for a believer in Jesus, that, that when a, a believer in Jesus is healthy, that healthy things, they grow. Growing things will change. Those, that change will bring about pressure, and that pressure should produce prayer. In prayer, we're, we're typically brought back to our values every single time. This prayer is actually what makes us healthy to begin with. And so then the cycle continue, continues is that this prayer makes us healthy and healthy things grow and growing things change and change develops pressure. And so why do we need this? Why do we need this cycle? Why do we need to grow? Well, because guys, this life is finite and the things in this world will fade the riches the glory the 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 status the stuff it won't matter in the end and what we have left is how we're remembered what we have left is the kind of life we lived and how our faith impacted generations upon generations outside of us how did my life reflect peace, patience, kindness, love to the people around me? How did I reflect that every single day? This is, the attitude, this is an, a thing that will continually remind us of the things that truly matter in this world. And we're fighting for meaning. We're fighting for purpose. But unless we can zoom out for just a second and see what actually matters in this world, we're going to spend so much of our time on pointless stuff. 
And studies have been done on people in the last few hours of their life. And there has been far more peace in the people who found value in faith, family, and friends than people who had much. When we're faced with the last moments of life, we find out what truly matters. So, so what are these tough times for us? Imagine them like exit points where we can learn to stop depending on the wrong things and start trusting in the things that truly matter. It's a slow loosening of momentary desires to gain a, great, a greater grip on God's purpose for us, a purpose that gives us true life. Why? Because I believe that you can get through this. Whatever you might be going through, I believe that you can get through the pain, but I believe you can actually come out better. And I believe that following the purposes of God guarantees that you're actually not alone when you do it. Yes, you have community. You have the people in this room and you have your family and you have all these these people around you, but you also have almighty God that seeks to be your comforter. You see, this tough time, it could make you or it could break you. And I'm telling you, God is for you. God wants you to come out better because the trials, they'll come. The difficulty, it'll come. And how we come out of it will determine our future. Could this possibly be a time that some things could be worked out inside of you? Could this possibly be a time that you could shift directions, that, th- that you could learn from this moment? Could this be a time that God could start working some things inside of you and maybe work, your, work in things like being a better husband in your family, being a, being a better wife, being a better, better friend, being somebody that exhibits things like peace, patience, kindness, and goodness? And maybe clearing out some, some things like pride and reliance on just stuff. Could he create growth in your life as a follower of Jesus? That, his, that our lives could reflect him and, and his love. Could we shift our focus during these tough times to see his plan and his purpose? And so that leads me to the question, well, what's in it for me? And there, there actually is something, life, true life. Life in abundance, contentment when it makes absolutely no sense, peace in moments where, where the world is chaotic, joy when the storm is unpredictable. Why? Because my eyes are set on Jesus more than this world. And so I think there's a classic hymn that actually talks about this where it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Could I pray for that over your life today? That there would be, that there would be peace in the middle of your storm today. That we'd be able to see him and that just everything else would just dim because we could just see him, his purposes, his, his promises. And so let me just pray over us tonight and then we're gonna, we're gonna be dismissed. God, 
I just pray for every person in this room that might be going through a hard time. Lord, I pray for the person in this room that's saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get through this. And Lord, even right now, during the midst of just praying right now, Lord, I just ask that some of the the chaos in their world just seem slowly, slowly more dim. And that we be able to see you in these situations, that we be able to see your glory in these situations, your grace and your love for us. That you would help us grow and gain wisdom in this time. Lord, I thank you for everybody that that made it here today. Lord, I just pray a blessing over every individual in this church. It's in your name we pray. Amen.